welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. So the theme I was looking at, it's a very simple message, and that is that God is here, wherever you might be. This one is meant to represent the space under the water. It's called Tohu Vabohu, which in the early chapters of Genesis, Tohu Vabohu is, the, is what we translate into formless and void. And it's not just that someone turn the light out. It's this kind of inky blackness that actually has a character to it. It's, it's actually um, almost a persona, this uh, formless and void. And so in that sense, this is also a series of times. So formless and void in the beginning, we can think in the beginning of our lives. The second one is called Bamidbar, which is the Hebrew title for the book of Numbers. You might notice that Bamidbar, which means in the wilderness, is in fact much more interesting than Numbers. You have to wonder why we call it the book of Numbers when it could be called in the wilderness. So that's what this one is called. It's meant to be talking about our journey kind of on earth and our lifetime. Um, and also Bamidbar, it could also be translated as steps, spelled S-T-E-P-P-E-S, that is very, very dense wilderness with the idea that life can be a very dense jungle at times. And God is, in fact, still there with us during that time. The third one is meant to be looking at the earth from above. It's meant to kind of invoke seeing the earth from space. Um, and the idea of God is also above the earth. So God being in the earth, with the earth, and above the earth is kind of the theme that the, the pieces are looking at. It's, the series is called Choshet Kadush, which means holy darkness in Hebrew, and the idea being that even in those dark corners of all aspects of life, God is still, in fact, there with us. So take a look afterwards and enjoy. This is the weight of waiting. Mary was waiting. I'm sure she had thought about having children. Likely, she even anticipated what it would be like to experience pregnancy. She dreamt of marrying Joseph, then having kids. She dreamt of building a life together with the support of her community. Yet with one angel, all of this changed. Suddenly, she was waiting for the Son of God to grow within her. All the while, the neighbors gossiped. She waited in joy for a son whom she would hold, cradle, nurse, and nurture. And she waited with anxiety as she bore the weight of judging eyes. Joseph was waiting. He never considered staying with Mary after she became pregnant. He waited to quietly break things off, not wanting to make a scene around town. Yet with one angel, all of this changed. So he waited to wed, to consummate, to meet the son of God. He never dreamt of caring for another's son as his own. He never imagined this child being born in a stable, far from their home. He never considered three wise men would travel so far, finding them in the middle of nowhere to bless a newborn with gifts worthy of a king. We are waiting. Through seasons and unmet expectations, we wait. Could God be preparing us for a blessing in this time? And how much bigger might his plan be than ours? How could he use us to bless others? Others are waiting, waiting for someone to care, to ask their name, to share a meal, to learn their story, to look beyond circumstances, to see their humanity, to be Christ on this earth. Sometimes we must wait, and sometimes we must help others in their season of waiting. Waiting doesn't always look the way we think it should. In the midst of waiting, Mary finds joy in chaos, in the midst of undesirable circumstances, Joseph is blessed. 
How will we wait? Good morning, my friends. So glad you're here, so glad you're here. If you're just joining us or came in late, my name's Micah, and I'm the lead pastor here at Awaken. Um, we begin Advent today. So exciting, my favorite time of the year, favorite season in the church calendar. Um, if, you, if you're wondering what's going on in the front and in the basement, the, we do a craft sale every year for, uh, well, I say every year, we've done it twice now. So that means we do, we do it every year, right? That's, we're, we're a church, for crying out loud. That's the way we've always done it. When did you start that? Ah, last year. Um, so uh, we, the craft sale is happening. That's downstairs and in the back. Uh, as, uh, lots of great things that are being offered by uh, local folks who made most of the things. I'm pretty sure everything that's, that's here has been made by people who are selling it. So that's cool. So check that out. Uh, before we jump into today and the first uh, week of Ad the Advent Conspiracy, I love that title, by the way. It's sort of like, I feel like we're doing something wrong, you know? And it's kind of cool to do that at church. Maybe you don't think so, but that's all right. Before we do that, uh, exciting news. Last week, if you weren't here, we announced church plant residency, which means for the next six months, starting December 1st, we'll have a church planter in residence here. His name is Dan Lucas. Some of you uh, had a chance to meet him, and we're really excited about this. Uh, we've been dreaming and praying about what's next for Awaken, and so this idea of a, another, uh, another church, a church plant called Awaken, led by a local pastor uh, in the neighborhood, uh, essentially connected to one another in mission, vision, and value. And so that's what we're aiming at, and uh, this step, this season, or this next six months is a continuation of this discerning process. So Dan will be here, and that's what we're shooting for. So uh, if you haven't met Dan, uh, please do so. He'll be preaching next week, actually, uh, in this series, which is great. And also related to that, uh, in Advent, if you're interested at all in some sort of experience that would maybe be a little bit more intentional for you to walk this Advent out, uh, Dan is releasing every day in Advent a prayer slash kind of uh, reading experience uh, and it's on a website. It's called lordteachustopray.com. So you can go there uh, each day if you want to get that, or you can subscribe to the podcast and it'll just come to your phones or your devices. And uh, very cool. Dan based this off of the, the prayers or the songs of Mary and of Simeon and Anna and uh, Zechariah in the beginning of the gospel. So that'll be happening every day in Advent. So if you're interested in that, wanted to make that known. Okay, are you guys ready? Ready to do this? Let's rock and roll, Micah. Here we go. Advent Conspiracy, week one. Spend less is the title of this sermon, which should be clearer a bit later. Uh, I was in, uh, it was not too long ago, not too long ago, my wife and I, Laura, we were driving in our minivan, which we no longer own, hallelujah. <laughs> and I was sharing with Laura something of great import, I mean, seriously important, which was the details and the ins and outs of fishing for walleyes on the Mississippi River. Now, as you can imagine, this was a very complex and scintillating conversation. So I was talking about river flows and wing dams and the Army Corps of Engineers and jig sizes and plastic colors and all this kind of stuff, and Laura was just riveted by this, <laughs> you know, as you can imagine, just. Well, while this is happening, a song comes on, and it's a song by one of my... I, got a, I have a small man crush on Stephen Curtis Chapman, you know. One of my first concerts I ever went to in college, so it's kind of got a special spot in my heart, a little SC squared. Pow. So a song by Stephen Curtis Chapman comes on, and it's called Cinderella. Yeah, yeah you kind of know where this is going, right? And so 
the song sort of walks you through the life of this dad who's, who has a daughter, and, you know, I will dance with Cinderella while she's still in my arms, and then the clock strikes midnight, and then she's gone. You know, it's just, it's a dad slayer, you know, just a dad killer. You hear this song, and, it, and it's hard to not cry. Well, Hadley begins to sing it from the back seat. So it's like double down on the sap, right? The song's emotional, but then your daughter starts singing it, and Laura and I just start, we look at each other, and we both just start weeping, you know, just like waterworks are coming. I'm trying to keep it on the road. I'm like, oh my gosh, Cinderella, I'll dance with you. <laughs> you know, there's this, the last line is, you know, she comes home with a ring, and she's talking about all of her plans, and she just turned 13 la a couple weeks ago. So, you know, you can imagine, but it's in this moment, right? It's in these kinds of moments where it's, perspective. You know what I mean? I mean, I am all in about walleye fishing, and I get pretty serious about this. If you didn't know me or don't know me well, I have, I love to fish, and catching big walleyes at night on the river is like, man, it is awesome. You'll have to take my word for it. But then in a moment, there's this just utter clarity about what really matters, and here is your little daughter singing this song in the back seat. And I think sometimes this experience of Christmas and Advent uh, has that sort of a moment for many of us where the things that we think are important or that we deem important are all of a sudden sort of flipped on their heads and it's like, oh yeah, that's right. Any This Is Us fans out there, the new series on NBC, which has taken the place of parenthood, but may she rest in peace, never to be repeated or, or, or likened. I mean, what a, what a show. Gosh. Adam, Zeke, Millie, come on. You know? <laughs> That show, I would just like weep every time I saw that show. <laughs> oh. Zeke, the, the grandpa, he'd say, now you listen here, grandson. I'm doing that. When I get older, I'm going to, like, grandson, you listen here. That's going to be my deal. But this is us. You know, this last week was the Thanksgiving special is when they talk, you know, they always do an episode on Thanksgiving. And, of course, you know, there's this huge buildup to the cranberry sauce, you know, the, the, the cranberry sauce that, you know, the, the wife is making for the mother-in-law, who is, hopefully, she's going to impress with the cranberry sauce, which is this famed family tradition, and then at, uh, it's finished, and here it is, Whoa! and a child comes running through the kitchen, and you know what happens, right? The cranberry sauce is everywhere. It's one of those moments, like, what's really, what really matters? What's really important? And it's a perspective shifter. And is this uh, as we move towards Advent and as we move towards Christmas through Advent, I should say, it's my hope that we'll be able to maybe gain a little bit of perspective, maybe gain a little bit of intentionality with how we walk out the next four weeks. Because I think it's very easy to get to December 25th and say, like, what just happened? Or how did we get here? Right? And so as your pastor, I want to try to slow it down a little bit. I want to try in this series to walk us through some questions that will hopefully allow us to be a bit more intentional about the next few weeks. And so this morning, I want to talk about spending less, which seems a little counterintuitive around Christmas Eve. But they say that 60% of Americans have long-term credit card debt. They say that uh, we spend less than an hour a week doing religious activities during the season and on average five hours a week shopping just to put things in perspective. Uh, a news anchor was on camera and said this about, uh, I enjoy my diamond ring much more than my husband sometimes. Whoops. <laughs> Can we redo that one? Can we just go back? Um, they say that three quarters of us dread Christmas rather than anticipate it. 
I don't know if you have, you have that family gathering out in front of you where you're like, yeah, dread. That's the word that I, fear, that I feel going to that. Um, consumer reports say that we spend half a trillion dollars on Christmas and in doing so create five million tons of extra trash during the holidays. And on average, consumers have about 5.9 unused gift cards in their wallets. So everybody take out your wallets, bring your gift cards to the front, please. No, I'm just kidding. We're going shopping. But in all seriousness, Christmas. I think in some ways, I feel sometimes that Christmas gets hijacked. Like somebody or something takes ransom, uh, this thing that I love and that I think stands for one thing, but then it ends up being something about something else. And often for us as Americans in the West, it ends up being about consumerism and capitalism, though I'm not opposed to capitalism. Like this idea that if we amass more, if we just get more stuff, or if we can give more stuff, then we'll, we'll feel better about ourselves. And I just want to pause this morning and challenge that assumption. Advent is absolutely the opposite of that. The season of Advent is about hoping and waiting, not gratifying a desire that we have. <laughs> That's a novel idea. Not immediately getting what we want now. But it's about waiting. It's about longing. And while we wait, we do so with hope. That maybe the seeds that have been planted, that have been buried beneath the earth in darkness, will actually sprout come springtime. I love, one of the reasons I love living here. Spring, you know? Like when you hear the gutters dripping for the first time and you smell it in the air and then all of a sudden the crocus flowers start bursting through the ground. So we, we wait in hope that the seeds that have been planted... While, our, while they're in darkness and while they may seem dead, are not. In fact, that's not true. We wait in faith that maybe that the seeds that need to be buried, the things in our life that need to be buried, might be resurrected someday with new life. That's what Advent's about. That's the spirit of Advent. And yet we get caught up in this crazy town. So I want to read a story from Matthew chapter 2. It's about King Herod. And the Magi, you've probably heard it before. Before we do that, a little bit about Herod to set it up. Herod married into the family that he was a part of. He wasn't actually, he was an Edomite. He married into the Hasmonean dynasty. He was a king and in power uh, around Jesus' time. He lived from like 37 BC to about 70 AD when Rome sacks Jerusalem. Um, he is known, he's called Herod the Great for his building projects. Have you ever seen the, 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 uh, the fortress at Masada in the, in the Middle East? He, he built that, and he is responsible for building the temple wall that we still shove prayers in, uh, in Jerusalem to this day. That's Herod the Great. Uh, he was paranoid. This guy was a nut job. He was so paranoid about his power and his empire and his kingdom that he would do anything and everything at any cost to, to make sure that it, it lasted. He killed some of his own family members, his own relatives, his own wife, and some of his own children he killed to protect his power. He brokered deals with anyone that moved and that had something that he wanted. There was no cost too great for him to sacrifice something so that he could get something that he wanted. Maybe most importantly for Matthew, he was known as the king of the Jews. So for him in his time and in his day, they would have referred to him as the king of the Jews, which is, of course, why it's so interesting at the end of Matthew's gospel that Jesus is called the king of the Jews. 
And Herod, I, would, I want to suggest, was a historical figure, but as is the case in the scriptures, he was bigger than that. He was, he was a symbol of something bigger than himself, and that symbol was a symbol of kingdom and empire and power. So with that in mind, Matthew chapter 2, and I'll ask you to stand if you can, and we'll read from the scriptures. Matthew says this, starting in verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he called together all the people's chiefs, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they said. For this is, where the prophet, or this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report back to me so that I may too worship him. After they heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen... Uh, when it rose ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. And on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down to worship him. They opened, then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their own country by another route. Pray with me. God, this morning, as we gather as your church and we begin this journey towards the day that we celebrate your birth in the season of Advent, I pray that you would give us eyes to see you, that you would open our ears, that you would crack the seeds of our heart open enough so that a little bit of light could come in, that we might think maybe differently this season about what it is that we're doing and why. I pray in the strong name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. Two things that I want to say about Herod and the Magi before we make our way to the table. The first would be this. The kingdoms of the world require our allegiance and they cost us everything. In this story with Herod and the Magi, Herod represents something bigger than himself. He represents kingdom and power and empire. And I want to suggest as we begin that the kingdoms of this world, whether they be something that Herod stood for or that they're something that is that's, that in our day and in our culture, they require allegiance. They require us to respond. They ask us a question. And they cost us everything. In order for Herod to get what he got, he had to sell his soul to get it. There was no price that was too high. There was no cost that was too far. And he would do it to get the power and the empire and the kingdom, that he's, the throne that he sat on. Think Game of Thrones, literally. Like, this is what's happening in the backstory of Herod. To get where he gets. And it costs him everything. And you've heard this maybe before. Everybody worships something. And I think it's true. Whether we choose it or not, we ascribe ultimate worth to something. And that thing, we worship. We give our allegiance to it. And for Herod, he sold it, his soul, to Rome. And the power and the systems that then oppressed people. There wasn't a part of his life that he wasn't willing to broker. Luther says that sin is the heart turned in on itself. And I think that this is very appropriate in the story about Herod. 
the, the heart turned in on itself will go to any cost and any length to get what it wants, what it desires. Remember, Herod was not just a person, but a representative of something bigger than himself. He was a symbol of greed and selfishness and materialism and massing more and more and more. And I want to just pause this morning as the pastor slash prophet among us. I was, you know, I have a book in the Bible, Micah. I was a prophet. This is his saying. As the prophet among us, can I just stop us for a moment and ask, what do we bow a knee to? What do we pledge allegiance to? What do we ascribe ultimate worth to? Therefore, what do we worship? And it's insidious and it's slow. It's sort of this slow burn that when it goes unchecked, when we don't ask questions about why we've stood in line for 10 hours to receive, right? I, uh, um, I shop at Cabela's. I fish for you know, walleyes and whatnot. They were giving away these prizes, and I was there this last weekend trying to get some kitchen knives. Um, man, dull kitchen knives. They're just the worst. Very dangerous, actually. So I'm trying to get some kitchen knives, and I said to one of the employees, I said, like, how long have people been in line? So, and they said, somebody was here last night at 1030. They stood in line all night long for the possibility of a, I don't know, a gift card of something. Why do we do that? When we don't ask questions about some of our motives or our intentions, we just go through the motions. And we live in a culture, friends, that just produces this thing. It just says this is normal. If you p start paying attention and you start watching the ads between now and Christmas, it's normal. Buy more stuff. That's actually your job as the American people. So stocks go up and return on investment gets higher. And your kids will be happy. There's one lady in this movie. It's called... Uh, uh, what Would Jesus Buy? It's a mockumentary where this guy goes around the country on this tour to like, warn people of the shopocalypse. <laughs> it is just absolutely hilariously funny. If you are into mockumentaries, this one is a doozy. Um, but this woman, she's, she's being interviewed, and she talks about how all these credit cards are showing up to her house, and they're totally maxed out, and her husband has no idea that she's opened these credit cards, and she says this, my kids will have these things because I never had them. I love them that much. Like, what makes a person say that? And what kind of a culture produces that kind of a response? There's one author uh, who is a pastor now but was previously an, exec, an ad exec at Porsche, which is a very, um, um, it's a pretty predictable vocational path. <laughs> and he says... My job at Porsche was to convince you, the consumer, of a need you did not have. That's, that was his job, literally. He said, my job at Porsche was to convince you, the consumer, of a need you didn't have. So friends, I just want to stop for a moment this, this morning and say, like, open our eyes. The church that we, is called Awaken, right? Like, like, let's do our name. Let's wake up to the fact that these things are happening. And the bottom line that I want to suggest to you this morning is that the kingdoms of this world, whether they be Herod or something else in our day and in our age, they require a response to us. And when we don't ask questions of them and we go along with it, it costs us everything. The Magi, on the other hand, respond to a different power and a different kingdom and a different empire. And I want to suggest that the kingdom that Jesus represents requires our allegiance and will cost us everything.
And so here you are. Deuteronomy chapter 30. Moses stands before the people and he says, life, death, choose life. And I think that the scriptures, while they are very complex and while it's very long and it twists and turns and there's all these crazy ideas, that often it comes down to a very simple idea. Which kingdom do you bow a knee to? What empire, what power structure does your life uphold, ascribe to? And the kingdom of Jesus requires our allegiance and it costs us everything. The Magi in Matthew's account, they respond in a different way, right? Matthew says that they were filled with joy when they heard and when they saw. He said that they gave gifts, they fell to their knees in worship. They ascribed worth to this king in this empire, not to the one that was rightfully in their day called the king of the Jews, but to this baby. Because they knew something else was going on. They knew that there was a different kingdom, a different empire, a different way of being. And they said yes to that. They gave treasures. They gave something of great value and of worth. They made sacrifices to be able to worship in this way. And maybe most importantly, they ignore Herod. Herod, the king of the Jews, the most powerful person on the planet, says, come back to me and give word. And they say no. We will not participate. Do you ever wonder what would have happened? You ever read a Bible story and think, like, what if, it, what, if they, what if they went back? Or what if they answered differently? Or what if it, like, what would have happened? They subvert and resist the empire of their day. So how about a little Advent conspiracy? Huh? Herod nearly hijacks Christmas. He says, come back so that I can worship him. And of course, we know that later he sends out an edict to kill every child under two who's male-born. So his intentions were not to worship, but rather to, like like suit, any cost to secure his empire and his power. And the wise men responded to the empire and the kingdom of Jesus in worship. They bowed a knee to the true king of the Jews. And in doing so, they subverted the Herod of their day. So we sit here today on the brink of a season. It begins today, this season of Advent. And so I offer you just this reminder this morning that there are th- empires and ways of being in the world that are asking for your allegiance. They're asking for your participation. And I just want to offer the possibility that we ask a couple of important questions as we engage. And we do so intentionally. So here's my challenge. Spend less is today. What would it look like for us to take one gift that you would give to someone. Maybe you and your spouse agree to not give a gift to each other that you would buy, but rather, so what, what's one gift that you would have given to someone else that you would have bought, and would you consider making it? Or would you consider giving a gift of presence or an experience that involved your presence, P-R-E-S-E-N-C-E, not a bow, but you, would you take one gift that you would have bought and do it differently with the intention of taking the resources you would have spent on that gift and investing it in something that I think is a little bit more in the spirit of what we're talking about when we talk about Christmas? So Linwood Monroe is a school right across the street from us here. They have two campuses, 800 students between two campuses. 
between 60 and 70% of those students are on free and reduced lunches, which means that many of those students who can't afford to bring their lunch to school or provide their own food for a lunch or buy a lunch at school also don't have lunch or food on the weekends when they go home and they don't have free and reduced lunches. So some friends of mine pastor a church in Minneapolis called Mill City, and they meet at an elementary school called Sheridan Elementary. And a few years ago, they, were in, they have a great relationship with the principal there, and they were asking the principal, like, what are some of the challenges that you're facing? What are some of the needs that you have at your school? And the principal said, actually, this is a new development. We've never seen this before. But kids are stealing lunch. They're stealing food from the cafeteria and taking it home on the weekends. I don't know about you, but that should incite something in the people of God. And so Sheridan's story was born. And the Sheridan story's aim and goal is to work with schools and food rescue organizations and local churches and people who care to provide food for kids on the weekends who need it. When they go home and there's not enough food to go around. The principles, this, this started in North Minneapolis, and it's, it's, it's all over Minneapolis, the school systems. And, and Sheridan's story has, I don't remember the number, but it's, it's a lot. Is it hundreds of schools? 122 schools are partnering with the Sheridan story to provide, and there's this like giant gap, this hole on the map in St. Paul. And principals of St. Paul schools are coming to Sheridan's story and saying, are there any churches or people who would want to get involved and who want to partner with Sheridan's story to help some of our students? That's the kingdom. That's like a knock on the door of the things that Jesus is all about and this whole Christmas season is about. So, church, would you ever consider one gift? I'm not asking you to go to the dinner party and say, you know, hey, let's do, what would, what would you guys think about doing Christmas differently for all the kids this year? And then somebody's like, oh my gosh, are you serious? Are we having this conversation? Have you ever been at that, that dinner meeting? Yeah, yeah. I'm not asking you to do that. I mean, you can if you want to. Kudos. Good on you, right? I'm not even asking you to do that. Would you just take one gift? that you would have spent money on, and on December the 18th, bring those resources, and we'll collect everything that Awaken has and everything that we can muster up, and we'll say, here's a, seed, here's a pot of seed money to be able to help and partner with the Sheridan Story at Linwood Monroe. Can you guys get behind that? They said it, it costs $130 to sponsor a kid for the entire school year. So for a class of 30 to sponsor a whole class, if it were a whole class, it would be about $3,900. I think that there's, this church is amazing, and I'm excited to see what happens on that day. So would you consider, as an intentional way to engage differently this season? Now, you might be sitting here thinking, Mike, this is a funny, funny message, considering all the people in the gallery and downstairs with all of their wares, right? Which is a fair critique. And I knew it. And we knew it. I knew that we would talk about this on this day. Because one of the other ways that we can participate or not participate and engage differently and intentionally is to the things that we do buy, to buy them from people who are making them, where there's no middlemen and no story of slave labor, or uh, there's, the, there's a different way to engage in the process. And so one of the other ways that I would encourage you to do so Take one gift and don't buy it, but everything else, buy from the people who are here who made the stuff. <laughs> right? And the spirit of that is to think. Be critical. You are not lemmings. You have a choice. 
And you can choose to invest your resources and your money in certain ways, or, and you can say, I'm out, and my resources are out in that game because it produces this in the world. Amen? So, one gift. Make it. Give a gift of yourself, your own presence, some kind of an experience. Go for a long walk in the woods with somebody who enjoys the outdoors. I mean, there's all kinds of crazy ideas you can come up with. Take those resources, bring them on the 18th. Let's see if we can't say yes to some kids at Linwood. Pray with me. God, today, as we gather in this place, we gather as your church, the people of God in the world. And we want to do so with hearts and intentions that reflect the kingdom of God. The kingdom that is represented in and lived out by the person of Jesus who arrives at Christmas. And so God, as we do, pierce our hearts, sear them, uh, burn them with your truth. Holy Spirit, open them up and call us out to be the kinds of people that you've longed for and died to enable us to be, I pray. In this next moment of silence, God, would you speak to us, guide us, invite us to whatever our next step might be. As you go this morning, a couple of things to be reminded of. One, our prayer team's always available after the gathering if you have any need whatsoever. Uh, there's markers over there if you want to just write your prayers on the wall. We encourage that, so that's different. I like that. I don't know if you've ever done it before, but it's pretty liberating. Um, from Jude, there's a section of this little tiny book called Jude at the end called Doxology. And so I'll read it to you as you go today. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen? Amen. Local lunch at Shamrocks. Art fair is open. Grace and peace, my friends. Love you all. Find us online at www.awakeningcommunity.com or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash community or on Twitter at Awakening Community. See you next time.